Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new Deep Cuts Live. I'm your host, Antoine Reed. Um, today, we have with us James from Sinistro Cigars. Hopefully, I pronounced that correctly. So if you're new to this uh, cigar brand, hopefully you'll learn more about them today. And um, like I said, I've never spoken to James at length. We've spoken on Instagram a little bit. So uh, I'm looking forward to learning more about the brand as well. So let me bring James on. How are you? What's going on, guys? Yeah, like I said, thank you for, for joining me. Like you reached out on Instagram and I was right in the middle of trying to book up the, the month. So I was like, come on, <laughs> let's let's do it. Yeah, it worked out perfect. I, I thought I was yeah. going to get some more hesitation from you. <laughs> no, I, I'm like I said, Deep Cuts is like an open platform pretty much. So it's not for any particular segment of the industry. It's pretty much anybody who walks works in the industry who wants to come on here and share their story for an hour is they're free to do so so thank you for like i said for coming on and working with me to kind of schedule this awesome. and thanks for having me i like coming on and doing shows myself too it's awesome yeah so you know i was, I was trying to do a little bit of research today on, on you and and listening to some of your other podcasts that, that you've been on and and such but um you know what i wanted to to jump it right into is uh, just give us a little intro to yourself. Like, how did you like, instead of how did you get started in the industry before you answer that question, what was your first time smoking a cigar? Cause I'm always interested in this okay. origin story of all started. Okay. My origin story is not, it's, it's, it's cool, but it's not that cool. But uh, so um, I had nothing, no involvement with cigars and uh, um my dad's an accountant by trade and uh i had some money left over from a previous business without getting too crazy in depth uh, i had some money left over from a previous business and i wasn't very interested i was more like 19 18 19 at the time and i wasn't really more i wasn't as interested in business so i really didn't care what happened with the money uh, and i wanted to kind of let go of the other business it was like insurance uh, sales and i realized i couldn't do that because I didn't like I, I my dad helped me with that. Like I used his office to do the insurance side of things. And um, it, 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 I realized I couldn't do that job because I was sitting behind a desk all day long. And like I would just look up. My dad was like, across the hall in another office. But like every time I would look up, he would I would see him just sitting there. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do this all day, every day, just sitting behind a desk. I kind of want to like be out and do something a little bit different. So um, uh I went out and I realized if I took the money from the previous business, I would probably spend it like a dumb 18 year old. So I had left it in the bank. And one day my dad approached me and he's like, Hey, one of my uh, clients who has a cigar lounge, wants to open a second lounge and he's looking for a partner and he knows the numbers and he was doing really well. And he's like, you should do it. And I'm like, yeah, you should do it. You know, no problem. Like you take that money and do whatever you want with it. I, I, if you feel like that's a good investment to make, go for it. You know, I just don't want to be involved in anything. So they opened the shop a year and a half, two years later. Uh, I had the key. I would, I was there when they were building it out. I never went back after it was open at this time. And one day my dad's partner uh, calls me up and he's like, Hey, and, and the reason why it was my dad's partner that called me up, because if my dad called me, it's easier to say no to my dad as it is to his friends. You know, it's mm -hmm. harder to say no to somebody like you look up to you and respect and you call uncle, you know? So the guy was like, Hey, I, our employee didn't show up today. Can you come in and fill in? And I was like, 
I don't know the first thing about cigars. Like, I don't know how to sell anything. He's like, yeah, don't worry. It's a new store. You know, if you need help, you can call me. But, you know, you learn slowly as you go. So I was like, sure, I'll go in there. And, you know, when you this was 19, so like 20 years ago. So back then, you know, the only the only like Maduro's in the industry was like a VSG or Padron Anniversario. uh, And, you know, those were allocated to shops. So there wasn't a ton of them. So, you know, when I first walked in there, I walked in alone and I just started looking at the shelves and I guess I shopped with my eyes. I went for like the, 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 I guess the nicest looking one, if you're like, and if you don't know anything about cigars. So there was a Portofino, Matinudo, uh, that was still in the tin, you know? So I was like, oh, that looks pretty cool. It's in a tin and blah, blah, blah. And I opened it up and I smoked it. And to me, uh, back then it, it tasted like cardboard. So I was like, oh my God, why do people smoke cigars? You know, this is, what is this? Like, and, and, and you know, being at a cigar shop, like it's being at a candy store. So like I tried another one and I tried another one and my day wrapped up. But before my day ended, uh, my dad's partner called again and was like, hey, the guy's not going to come in for tomorrow too i can't get a hold of him i need you to go in tomorrow too so this happened for about like three four days and and the fourth day uh, now i got more comfortable in the shop so i was like looking behind the cabinets and the humidors and i found a box of padron uh 1964 uh the principes so i was like well let me try one of these you know it looked nice we got it like you know it has the paper cellophane on top and so i popped one open and i smoked it and Sure enough, I finished the whole box in two days. And, uh, you know, I called my dad's partner and I was like, hey, man, you need to get more of these. These are amazing. You know, like, I don't know why the shelves are not all of this, you know. And he's like, what did you do with that box? And I was like, why? What do you mean? I smoked it, you know. And he's like, no, you can't smoke those. We only get like one per every 10 per drones we get and stop smoking those. And, and But that's when I kind of started liking cigars is like that Padron, that darker, rich, full body profile, the hints of cocoa and I, and then just i think the portofino was just a little too light uh for my palate even back then i don't know why but um that that was my first cigar and then the first cigar i liked was the padron uh 1964 and i'm still a big 1926 fan myself even to this day wow so when you before you got into the, that retail store and you started working there and trying out cigars like what was your attitude toward cigars like were you just like like, were you for it? Were you kind of didn't like indifferent towards it? Like, what was your your whole mentality going into this? So my dad was a cigarette smoker, so I didn't really care too much about cigars. I just hated cigarettes, but I knew the difference between a cigar and a cigarette at that time. So I knew that there was no chemicals into it. It wasn't as it, it wasn't addictive. It wasn't you know it wasn't said to make a person an addict to keep them along for life. You know what I mean? So like. With cigars, I know you could smoke for a week straight and then decide not to smoke one day. It's not going to, you know, you're not going to fiend for a cigar. Maybe just to, you know, like the only times I've been like, oh, man, I could really use a cigar is like after dinner or when I'm really stressed out. And that, and that's not because my body needs it. That's just because it's going to help me relax. You know what I mean? So I was never anti-cigars. I was always anti-cigarettes, especially back then because my dad was such a big smoker and I, I saw what it was doing to him, you know, his health. So... I was never anti-cigars. I was more anti, you know, cigarettes. Okay. So working in, in retail, I know is completely different. So you were used to, you, you probably got accustomed to the customers coming in, asking you questions. 
So what did you kind of learn about the cigar industry just from working in the retail part? Um, I, at that point in time, I realized one thing I realized, and I think that's why I was successful as a retailer is that a lot of people were not educated in the industry. They didn't know they were just smoking, you know, and, uh, most of it was, you know, just, um, what aficionado told you at that time, there was no half wheel. There was no, uh, you know, there wasn't that many, I think cigar journal when half wheel, I mean, and aficionado were the only two at the time. Oh, and Cigars and Spirits was out too. But, you know, the two big ones were Journal in Europe and uh, um, uh, Aficionado in America, you know. So uh, I, I started realizing that, you know, I was learning because I was still getting to learn everything. I had to learn from uh, my my dad's partner. At, at some point, I ended up buying out the business in full uh, later on. And uh, obviously, I learned from him before I bought out the business. And um, a couple other people that helped me a lot in the industry. I was really close with the Ashton rep uh, at the time. And uh, now he has like five stores. So I had pretty good mentors that were help teaching me. So I found that a lot of smokers were not educated in the product, what was going on. So I tried to educate people as best I could, um, you know, in the uh, on the retail end. And I feel like education even today is such a big issue, especially when I speak to different retailers, because it's like, I don't know what it is, but it's like so many people try to be experts and, and I don't know if they are, you know, and they try to just pick up on what somebody else says. So, and I've been on this, like, uh, you know, been in, in rooms where people are trying out cigars for the first time and, you know, and the, the cigar makers, like, you know, what do you, what do you taste from this? And like, just the, you could just seeing that in that room, like how there isn't the education of, of the tasting and stuff. And people just throw out weird flavors that you're just like, is that really what you taste? Like, how can you taste that? Like the, yeah. you encounter the problem too, sometimes where it's just like, there's such like a, a big gap in between education and yet there's no real resource or person who's like really sits there and educates even the consumer on what they're smoking it's it's it, I, I get that all the time and i think because of my age also i get like every every a lot of not every sorry a lot of people like they want to suggest to me on you know oh you should do this with your blend or you should do that or you should do this you know and that's that, that's kind of a little annoying but um uh i feel that also with the with the, the problem with education educating people is that back then when I first got in the industry, there was a lot of BS out there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the legacy brands and, oh, you know, uh, like still to this day, everybody is talks about how like there's different cuts, you know, and this is Velado, this is Lajero, this is Seco. But, it, you know, yeah, they, they pick like that. But at the end of the day, it's the it's the people who are sorting that decide if it's going to be Lajero. It could have been in a cut of uh, a, a Viso, but it, it's just thicker and oilier, so it's going to fall into Lajero. So I feel like, uh, not like lies, but I feel like there was like half explanations a lot back in the day. And uh, just like whether it's because of the miscommunication between, um, you know, back then a lot of the guys were, um, most of the guys were like very, like strong Latino, uh, you know, heavy Latino accent. So whether it was like, I just want to, you know, I even have some guys now that are shy about speaking around Americans and they're famous, you know, uh, people in the industry, but they're shy about speaking around Americans because they feel like, 
um, like they're embarrassed. Just like when I first started trying Spanish, I was always embarrassed mm -hmm. to speak because I sounded like a gringo, you know, and I'm sure it works the same way back. So whether the misinformation was because they didn't want to sit down and explain or they couldn't explain because they didn't know the right terminology to use or what to what words translate better but i just feel like there was a lot of misinformation at the beginning not misinformation but not full information you get what i'm saying and i think that hindered the education level because once you you've heard something now that becomes true you know what i mean as opposed to like now you have to reteach that whole subject all over again yeah like i said for, for me and especially on the media side it's, it's like when you mentioned a few minutes ago that back in the day there's only like a couple sources of information. And so everything that people learn came from those few sources. And now this is a plethora of, of information. Like you can go on YouTube and there's dozens of cigar channels and cigar related content. And you can type in Google and there's dozens of sources. But the same problem is that there's so much information and all that's coming in from, from like these different sources. And I just find like people sometimes get so like overwhelmed that they still, like I said, the education factor of learning what the industry is all about and learning about the product. It's just like so difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, look, I was a retailer for 15 years between the two shops I had. And we, the first time I went to the Dominican Republic to start working on one of my blends, uh, it was it was like I had no idea what I was like. I, I realized I had no idea about the other end of the, as much as I learned, as much as, you know, the, the guys came in and talked to me, the manufacturers, uh, you know, I had a really pretty good shop. So a lot of owners came and we did events with owners. So I've, I, I talked to a lot of them. I picked a lot of their brains, but as soon as I landed in the Dominican, I was like, yeah, I have no idea what I'm doing here. So like, and every time I go back, I'm learning something new. So I wouldn't even be able to call myself an expert. Like some people, like refer to me as a master blender. I'm like, dude, I have way more to go before I could become a master blender. You know, like I talk to blenders that, that like they're just a plethora of information. And I, like, that's a master to me. You know what I mean? I, I am nowhere near that level, but even me, I'm constantly learning every time I go back playing with new tobacco. And now, you know, that they're hybriding, slicing seeds and all this other stuff that now like, you're in a whole new ballpark and you're playing with it's stuff that you thought you knew you you're still now you have to relearn because it's a splice seed or it's a hybrid seed or, or you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I remember going to the Dominican Republic for the first time in 2019 myself and um, being able to interview Hanky Kellner. And, you know, I asked him, I was like, you know, so many people consider you to be a master blender. Like, how do you feel about that title? And he said, I don't feel like I'm a master blender because that means you know everything there is to know about tobacco and and there's always something else new to learn like you never get to a point where you know everything yeah and and i think the only like it's it's i think this is one of the few industries where like to be a master i think you have to be born into it right like as opposed to you it's 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 something that has to be like, not only like, maybe like I just had a kid. So maybe my son that one day, if he decides to go into this industry because of all that plethora of information, maybe one day he could be a master blender if he decided to go that route. But I just feel like there's so much out there that I don't even think I could get to that level yet. I would love to obviously be referred to as one, but you know, it, there's just so much out there. And, that, and I think it's a little bit of to do with also teaching and then also, 
again, the DNA breading into you, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's got, you got to be uh, in the fields from a young age and kind of play with everything. So, you know, you know, there's some guys that will look at a leaf and tell you exactly what it's going to taste like I, while it's growing, as opposed to me, where I have no idea what it's going to be like until I've smoked a pure grape. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you decide that you wanted to actually launch your own brand? So as a retailer, um, I, I was getting very annoyed. I was like writing out these huge checks to these big companies, you know, monthly and, mm-hmm. you know, people would keep coming into my store and being like, Hey, I could buy that online for $5. And then you have it here for $20, you know? And I, you know, yeah, obviously there should be a little bit of a markup in a retail lounge because you're using the space, you're taking up the internet, you know, the cap, but it shouldn't be a $15 markup on the brand. You know, it shouldn't be that much. So, you know, I realized, you know, the store owners, are making the brands famous, right? Because unless a store owner usually tells you to pick up something you don't know, you're not usually picking it up. Only the 1% of guys in our industry or 2% or 5% are guys that are going to be like, oh, that looks good. I want to try it. Or tell me about that rapper. What's in the filler? Oh, that sounds interesting. I want to try it. Most of the guys are going to be referred to by the shop owner, you know? And now um, you're killing the shop owner. You're taking the shop owner out of the whole loop and it's great for the legacy brands because you know anything that says Monte Cristo on it is going to sell it's not going to make a difference you know um but it's not very good for you know uh, uh, different brands like you know Dura State's not a legacy brand it became a legacy brand now but you know if there were no retailers um though Dura State would have never gone to where it was you know what I mean so at some point I realized you know and also I realized that at a retail store, you can only do as good as the city provides for you, right? So mm-hmm. you, your city that you're in and maybe the four cities around you that are surrounding you in your, you know, 50-mile radius is what you're about to get in sales. So, and, you know, you can't run in front of your store and just start, start dragging people in, you know? So I kind of, I knew, you know, A, I wanted to start a brand that's not online, insanely discount. Yes, we are online, but we're not discounted online. You know what I mean? So that's, that's one thing I really wanted for my brand. And, um, I wanted to be able to be a little bit more in control of my destiny. Meaning like if I'm having a bad day in sales, it's up to me to get out there and do what I need to do to get that sales better. As a retail store, it's hard to do that. You know what I mean? You got to do an event, plan a month ahead, everything that you're going to do as a retailer, it's not going to be that day to, 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 to score better sales. It's stuff that you're going to have to plan ahead and do stuff. Um, you know, like I said, doing an event or doing a sale or doing something to uh, get more sales in, but it's still that day still going to be a bad day in sales, no matter what happens. Right. So I kind of wanted to put more of the destiny in my hand and I wanted to sell to the whole world as opposed to, you know, one city. I think that's interesting what you said, because um, if you ever hear, if you ever hear Eric Espinosa's story, he always says kind of a similar story in that, you know, he started off as a um, independent rep. And he would rep all these different companies and he would sell. And then he says he got to this point where, you know, he was just killing it and making all these sales and doing all these connections, doing exactly what he was supposed to do. And uh, his stories always comes to the conclusion that, you know, but one day he got, you know, an award or bonus for all his hard work and he got a pink slip at the same time. And then that's when he realized, you know, that same realization that you have that, 
you know, you can do all this work, but you, that didn't mean that he was like in control of his destiny. You know, he was at the mercy of these other companies and that made him want to find a way, you know, to get more control. And that's when he launched his own company. So it's kind of a similar story to yours, not the exact same. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and you know, it's it's you know, as long as it's people that have that drive, you know what I mean, to to go out and and do that thing. And Eric's one of those guys that he has the drive. You know, no matter what he does, he's gonna be good at good at. You know what I'm saying? So he's just one of those guys. It didn't matter what field he decided to get into. He was just gonna be good at what he did. Yeah, and I know, but I know even from speaking to him and other people who have done it that saying that you want your own cigar brand is is one thing, but actually doing it is a completely other, you know, it requires different skill sets than even what you have as a as a retailer. Um, at least with a retailer, you kind of know what people ask for. You have, you know, what questions they're asking. And that kind of sets you up at least for a little bit of the success. But, you know, then you have to, to do the hard work of creating a brand, creating the, the product, you know, getting the product in. So what was that transition like for you from going just for me and like, you know, a retailer who was, you know, selling and promoting these these brands on a daily basis to suddenly you're going to create your own brand. What was that like? So the create, I'm always been a cigar geek after, you know, after a couple of years, uh, owning the business, I really enjoyed cigars. I like the industry. I like the, the fact that, you know, you like in my shops, I always uh, made it very open to anybody. So you could, you could be from any walk of life and walk in and you could have a, you know, you could be a, a garbage collector and you could be sitting next to a CEO and have a full on conversation between the two that will only take effect in a cigar shop. Ninety nine percent of the time, anywhere else, those two people would never probably share a conversation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so being that cigar geek and loving the culture of it, I would always think in my head, like, hey, why didn't these guys do that? Why didn't these guys do this? You know, like so creating the brand wasn't as difficult i think people taking me seriously was more difficult because like i I, i'm me i dress like this no matter where i go Uh, i'm a t-shirt and jeans guy so um like even at the even to this day the people that i do volumes with the first thing like i won't name any names but like one of the factories the owner as soon as i walk in there he like looks me from like head to toe and you know he's judging my outfit you know what i mean and he's one of the old school guys and i totally get it and you know, uh, but like even him, it took him, it took him a few years. And I was doing with that company, I was doing probably in my retail store, a hundred thousand a year with easy. So like, obviously he knew I was good at business. Cause you know, not that many retail stores are doing, you know, a hundred thousand a year in sales. So I get it wasn't the business part. It was just, he still, for some reason, like it was harder for him to take me seriously. Now he does take me a hundred percent seriously, but still, I get that look up and down every time I walk into the to the office to have a conversation with them. And then also that also didn't, uh, that also hindered me, I think a little bit with opening accounts, you know, like a lot of people were like, Oh, who's this kid walking into my store? And I'm 39 now. I don't look like I'm 39. I know I, I get 20 and 30 all the time, but you know, I think that getting it in was harder for me than anything else because there was so many people not taking me seriously. Um, and, you know, the, the, the guys that did know me, uh, you know, I wasn't 
even with my shop as serious as I was, I was still one of those guys that like to go out and party and drink and have a good time. So I think even the guys that didn't know me were like, oh, this guy's going to just drink and party. He's not going to really take this seriously, you know? So getting it in was the hardest part. All the stuff for the ideas and the for the the blends were obviously hard too. Uh, you know, I wasn't a blender when I went in there. Uh, I used a lot of uh, Manuel and Noah from La Rora helped me out a lot with uh, learning how to blend. And then now... You know, I do a lot of business with El Artista uh, also. And, you know, between the two of them, I think I got a lot of history and lessons in tobacco. And then also Ram from El Artista has taught me a lot about the business side of it. So I'm very lucky. Like, um, you know, whether it's, you know, I, I've made very good relationships with the, the right people. And I think they've helped me get to where I'm at today. It wasn't obviously I wasn't able to just walk in there and blend on my own or, you know what I mean? And, and also the finances, like, you know, I was on the retail side. I knew, you know, what about this and what about that number? And, you know, but when you're on the manufacturing side, it's a total different story. You're working on more, your margins, much smaller, you know, you, you know, learning little secrets here and there, uh, to, um, to find better ways of, making something happen, like a blend happen without spending an insane ton of money, um, fermenting, like all that stuff I picked up from these guys. I had no idea what to do. Um, but the, the ideas of what I wanted to try were already there. You know what I mean? So that, that part wasn't as hard cause I had an idea of what I wanted to do. Uh, but uh, my favorite thing is whenever the factory told me, Oh no, James, you can't do that. Then that's when I feel like I'm doing, I'm doing the right thing. Cause a lot of my blends, um, like the Mr. Candela, the factory was telling me, no, no, you don't put a Maduro wrapper and then put a Candela wrapper on top of it. It doesn't make sense, James. You're not supposed to do that. And, you know, like uh, the Honor Among Thieves, it was supposed to be like all the Harrow uh, filler. And they're like, no, James, you can't do that. You know, and I'm like, OK, well, I want to learn on my own. Like, I want to try it. Let's... And it didn't work. It, they, I, I got it after the first time. But, you know, there were then we decided to go a different way by adding uh 5% Nicaraguan seco and putting it in between every leaf to help with the combustion. And it worked great. And it's a phenomenal cigar, you know? So uh, I, I've gotten that a lot from the factory too, but these were all thoughts that I had when I was like, just sitting in the retail store, like, why didn't anyone try this before? Why didn't anyone do that before? You know? So kind of more of on the geek side for me, for that stuff was a little bit easier. Yeah. But you said something that was interesting about basically being the younger person coming into this industry and you could have easily chosen to kind of, you know, dress, you know, dress in a business suit, look how they wanted you to look and, you know, present it yourself that way. And then you would have gone back to your hotel room and dress like you wanted to dress. And you would have probably felt just super drained because you were trying to act, you know, in a completely different way than, than who you are, but you kind of came in there and you said, this is who I am. And, you know, and it, maybe it meant that you had to prove yourself a little bit more, but at least you, you know, you got, you put yourself out there and saying like, you knew who you were basically. I, and I don't get me wrong. I tried it. I, I wore a suit. Like I have a ton of suits at home, you know, and I love wearing suits, but right. like that, that's, that's, that's not me, you know, like it's, it's more for like weddings and special occasions. And, you know, and I, and I, and I love ties and I love suits, but uh, I think like Guillermo that I've been doing business with, with La Aurora, he's only seen me wear a suit one time, you know, and I've been doing business with him for like 20 years. plus. So it's, it's, 
I, and I tried that and I realized like it, it wasn't working. It wasn't me. Like I was constantly readjusting myself and reasserting myself and I wasn't comfortable. And when I decided not to wear the suit and tie, I feel like I was doing that. I wasn't doing that much better. I was still getting the, who the hell are you? And why would anyone want to buy your cigars? But, you know, at least I was comfortably getting that not, you know, and you know, it's funny. I still do this. So even with, so I usually like being like basketball shorts or something like that. So even when I'm on the road, I won't wear basketball shorts. I'll wear jeans. But as soon as I hit the last shop, I'm in that parking lot, like getting out of those jeans and putting on those basketball shorts and putting on sneakers just so I could get home. Um, when it came to, to choosing a name for your company, how did you, your, your, I think you co-founded the company with somebody. So how did you come up with that, that name? So uh, we had a, we had a list of names, you know, um, and uh, we kept like going back and forth and going back and forth. And Sinistro was uh, the derivative of the word sinister. It's the Latin word for left. It means left in Latin. So the, the word sinister comes from Sinistro because left is bad and right is good. And, you know, if you roll with your left hand, they would like smack you around until you start writing with your left right hand because, you know, the left is bad. So that kind of had to play into it. And then, uh, you know, we liked it, no political, you know, aspect. And we felt like, you know, it, we were the type of people, like if you hit a fork in the road, everyone tells you to go right. Well, if you're a sneaker, you go left. You know what I mean? Because everyone goes right. Try a different path. So that's kind of the play on words we wanted to use. And then also for like the first six months, we, we advertised like it was on our website too. We would put like the world's first left-handed cigar as like a, joke you know so it'll be easy to go in and but i had a few retailers literally go hey can you show me how this is a left-handed cigar and there's no real like good way of answering that like even as nice as you want to put it it just still sounds like well you're an idiot you didn't understand the joke so i like i was like yeah we're gonna take that off the website and i'm gonna stop making that i'm gonna stop saying that from now on you know what i mean so um it was more like you know a list of different things that we put together. It wasn't like something we had focused on from the beginning. Uh, it was just a, something we picked off the list. Well, I think that's, that's, I'm always interested about names because I know like once you choose a name, it's like you have to kind of stick with it. So I'm yeah. pretty sure it's like, it's like a, it seems like it should be like the funnest part of your company. But once you get around to actually picking a name for anything that is going to be long-term, it turns into a, a humongous task. Like you're like, oh my gosh, what this that is it taken already? Is somebody does somebody have a trademark on it already? So I, and, we have, and we have guys in our industry that just trademark anything. They don't care as long as like if they think right. of it, they'll just go trademark it. So it might not even be in the industry ever, but it's already been trademarked by somebody. Exactly, and it's it, you know, and I've seen more and more in the news, not just the cigar industry, but you know, trademark issues, patent issues where, you know, companies are protecting themselves and protect and kind of fending off competition by, you know, using a trademark or using a, a patent to to say like, whoa, 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 like that's ours. Like you said, and they might not even have like a real product out there that that's, does it, but they just hold that that trademark. So congratulations yep. on finding the name that <laughs> hadn't been taken. Yeah, I know. And that was, uh, that's a hard one. I don't think anyone would have trademarked that one. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually happy about that too. Uh, but I got, and even though, like, even if let's say you, you trademark it, you brought it out to, uh, you know, out to in, uh, the product out first, if someone like 
let's just say general decides to sue you, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? You can't really like as a boutique company, you can't fight somebody who's got billions of dollars to their, uh, you know, that to, like, have no problem fighting you for, you know? So even if mm -hmm. you like, that's why you've got to be very, very clean. Like it's got to be something that's never been used and, you know, never done before. And now, I mean, it's, it's weird in our industry. Cause like, you know, the uh, Patrimonia just came out, like two other companies, three companies use it, but no one sued anyone for it yet, you know? And I think the three companies kind of talked to each other and they were like, hey, I, by the way, I did this. I oh, don't worry about it, you know? Like, so um, it depends on who you're dealing with, right? If you get one of those guys that's going to be like, no, that's my name. I need you to get rid of it. You're going to, like, just like General and Opiscott now, I guess, right? So... It is just, it is what it is. Sometimes you might get away with it because you have a cool owner that you could just go talk to and be like, hey, my bad. I didn't know what happened. This is that. And, you know, like Patrimony or um, I think that's the one that just came out, right? Last PCA, like three companies have that name. I think, I so. think it's Patrimony. Yeah, yeah. So it's something um, like that. Yeah. So what was the first Sinistro cigar that you create that was created and kind of brought out to market? Uh, well, we brought out three blends at the beginning, uh, the white, the black, and the red. Uh, the cigar, so the white and the black, I had a lot of help with Manuel on uh, the blend. Um, so uh, it was a lot of back and forth with Manuel. The red, I knew I wanted a Maduro. Um, I just I just didn't know. Like, I, I knew I wanted a Maduro. So we had done a few blends, and none of them tasted good. So I wrote down a blend real quick for the master blender. I mean, for Manuel. And I was like, do me a favor, make this blend and ship it to me. Yeah. So that was my first one that I did like all on my own. And I didn't have any help with because it was like literally last minute. And that blend ended up being the now, which is the Mr. Red. Uh, we, I didn't end up changing it. It came out exactly the way I wanted it. So I would assume the, I would say technically the red was my first blend, uh, but we did come out with three blends at the beginning, the white, red, and the black. And you're talking about some of the retail perceptions or reception to you at, at the beginning. Like what was it like once you had these blends and you were taking them to the retail stores? Like how, how easy was it to get shelf space in the, and like, and, and what did it feel like for you now being on the other side of that? Cause you used to be in like the retailer who was saying like, Oh, like, let's think about this or we'll try it out and stuff. And now you were the brand owner going to the retailer. Did that make it any easier, your experiences in retail or did this kind of, was it hard? So uh, it was actually, it was very depressing. Like the first two, I'm not going to lie. The first like year or two was very, very depressing because you're hearing constantly, no, no, who are you? Why would anyone buy your cigars? And um, I remember when like, well, when my store, you know, uh, in the, in the LA shop, when Boofy came out at the beginning, I kind of saw like what could happen with Boofy. Same thing with Caldwell. So I jumped on those brands as soon as they came. Same thing with Drew Estate. Uh, I jumped mm -hmm. on those brands right away. Uh, uh, you know, I was not a big flavored smoker, but at, at that point, uh, someone had told me because I used to talk. I used to sell a ton of Cuba Cuba, but I also talk shit. A, a lot about Cuba Cuba as a smoker. Someone pulled me to the side one time and, and told me, he's like, do you realize how many new smokers that cigar has brought into our industry? 
Like so, before you laugh at that cigar, and I and I and I was like, wow, you're totally one hundred percent right. Like I never looked at it that way, you know. So, the guys who are not into that tobacco flavor, a lot of them start off with a Cuba Cuba or a, a Blondie Bellicoso, you know, something like that, and then move on to your cigars. So, I was hoping more retailers would be kind of more like me and you know but in our industry we have a lot of retirees we have a lot of older gentlemen that are more fixed on their ways uh mm-hmm. you know and they're not looking to you know expand and go and i had to deal with california which is one of the hardest states because i live in california so i was basically doing california at the beginning um smaller humidors because retail space is expensive so shelf space is very it's very hard to get your cigars in because there's hardly any shelf space and also i think like in the bay when i had my store i was one of the top stores in the bay in san jose we did phenomenally well like i was probably the top grossing store in the bay i think that also hurt me because people thought they were by buying my cigars they thought it was going to help my retail store Right. So even though I was gone from there, I think a lot of retailers, I've heard a lot of people saying, oh, why should I, you know, uh, uh, pay for his cigars? If one day he's just going to open a shop next to my store again. You know what I mean? And I, I, I didn't do that. Uh, what I did was when I went up to San Jose to open a store, the mall asked me to come up because all our stores were in outdoor malls at the time. And uh, the mall over there had seen one of our stores. Uh, my friend had like six of them and I had one. And the mall invited us to come up there, check out the area. So I had no idea about that city. I'd never been to San Jose in my life. And I never ventured out of San Jose other than that mall. I went to the mall. I saw the mall. I saw that uh, the nightlife and how much, how many people it brought in. As soon as I saw that, I was ready to sign the lease. Um, so I think that kind of hindered me more than helped me just because like, I'm, I still do not do well in the Bay. Uh, I'm starting now to start doing better in the Bay, but it's mostly stores that have switched ownership that are ready to bring in my product now, as opposed to the ones that are, that still were there when I had my store They're they're not very eager to order. So I want to make sure that we touch on some of your recent releases. So beginning with the envy. So tell us about that one. I know it's a re-release. Okay. So we bring out envy uh, once a year. Uh, it's a 10 year old Corojo wrapper. So, it's uh crows when we make it into a maduro so we lose um i don't know exactly but let's say 20 to 30 percent uh on the wrapper when we're making it a maduro because it's so thin uh and also being 10 year that's another thing the factory told me never to do they're like why would you make a 10 year old wrapper into a maduro that's like blasphemy you know it doesn't make sense and you know i was like well because it's never really been done before no one takes something an age wrapper and you know fix tries to make it better, you know, because it has 10 years of age, that rapper's ready to go the way it is, you know? So, um, uh, and, and then they were warning me, you know, you're going to lose this much rapper making it into Maduro and it's going to be more expensive because we have to factor in the cost of how much rapper we're going to lose. And, um, so I, I really, the, the blend came out phenomenally well. Um, uh, the, the Corojo we use, uh, and we don't want to be this company where, like last year, we brought out 300 boxes. I think this year we're at 320 boxes that we're going to bring out, maybe less. I'm still figuring out the numbers from the wrapper, however much we have left over. But um, we don't. We want to keep it at a 10-year 
age. So we have a lot of stores that want to open with Envy. There's a lot of stores that want to bring it in, but we don't want to take the nine-year-old rapper and use it as a, and say it's a 10-year-old rapper. So we're very like, again, me being a cigar geek, I'm very anal about stuff like that. And so um, there's a release this year. It'll be out in November uh, at some point in late October, early November. It's going to 30 shops. So we try to expand it this year. Last year it went to 10 shops. Uh, this year we're expanding it to uh, 30 shops or 26, depending on how much wrapper we have. And, um, you know, we kind of um, like one of our co- consumers is Cigar Box, and I was talking to them about it uh, out of Vegas. And these guys, they were telling me, they're like, you know, for us, we would like you to keep it at 10 stores because we're, we'll get a lot more. And, you know, we're very exclusive. He's like, but for you, he's like, this is a very good cigar. You, you should get it out there. So um, I took, I need the advice, you know, and I decided to open it up to 30 stores this time around instead of 10. But last time around, the 10 stores got 15 of each size. This time around, uh, everyone's getting like five of each size. And it's only in Robusto and Toro. And what about the 10-year anniversary release? And I understand it has a special wrapper. So the the 10-year anniversary will be coming out. So uh, the the reason why I have it coming out at the same time is because I know the the 30 shops that are taking Envy, um, they're going to take it regardless because they want it. Now, I feel bad as a as a manufacturer only giving something special to 10 shops. So it was our 10 year anniversary. So we wanted to release it at the same time we released the Envy. So not just those 10 shops that got Envy can brag about getting something new from Sinistro, but these all these other, the, the 10 year anniversary is gonna be open to all of our customers. Uh, we're only doing 200 uh, boxes of Robusto and 200 boxes of Toro. And uh, we're using an exclusive wrapper that hasn't been used yet. Um, literally up until last night, I was asking, uh, you know, the, the factory, how much information I'm allowed to give on it and what I'm not allowed to give on it, uh, because it's obviously their product. So it's a new wrapper. It's it's a it's a seed. I can't talk about the origin of the seed, but it's grown in the Dominican Republic. It's very the look of it is very close to um, a broadleaf, but it tastes totally different. Um, the It's it's a seed that's been breeded for a few years and they they were at a point now where we want to use it uh before we were selling a lot of it to the roll your own companies and i know when you say that um it's a turn off but people have to realize uh that that's how broadleaf started you know uh broadleaf started the same way and then one cigar manufacturer was like hey i'm gonna put it on a cigar and you know broadleaf became famous in our industry so I know it's a little bit of a turnoff bringing up roll your own cigar or roll your own tobacco stuff when you're talking about cigars. But again, that's how Broadleaf started. But it's probably the only pure grade I've ever smoked that I'm happy with just smoking the pure grade. It's it, it's it's I know most pure grades are one dimensional. And usually if it's a bitter or a sweet, it's overly powering on that one dimension. But this uh, pure grade was very uh, monotone, very uh flavorful you could almost roll it uh, you could almost sell it as a pure grade and 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 it would still be a very good cigar um but again we're just going to be able to call it like a dominican broadleaf it looks very similar to pennsylvania actually more than connecticut um but 
very flavorful, very tasty. And unfortunately, that's all I could give out on the information on the cigar. But hopefully, you know, I, I think because the guys I get it from, they're not the t- like I've been trying to keep it exclusive forever. But uh, I know he's going to let us use it for now. And I don't think it's going to be exclusive to us. But I think it's going to be a rapper that's going to probably do just as well as uh, San Andreas and Broadleaf, if not better. Then what about the last barbarian? So the last barbarian, it just it was supposed to be a PCA drop, but we just got it. We just released it. I got one right here. Um, so the barbarian is uh, full bodied. We use forty uh, percent uh, super lajero or medio tempo inside. It's uh, uh, Pennsylvania Maduro wrapper. Uh, very good smoke. Uh, I you know super uh, medio tempo or super lajero is very so in dominican they call it super lajero and nicaragua they call it medio tempo so it's very hard to get your hands on so finally you know after a whole bunch of kicking screaming begging and fighting with as many people as i could fight with i was able to get you know a decent amount of it where i'm will be able to bring this out regularly but it's palato cubano super lajero so you know palato doesn't grow as tall as the rest of the plant so it's more of a Creamy Super Lajero, it does have a bite, but there's a lot of volume behind it. There's a lot more body and a lot more flavor behind it than strength, even though it does get you at the back of your throat right here, like a you know, Super Lajero should. Um, it's not just, you know, beat you up and uh, it, it's got a nice flavor profile behind it too. Awesome. Um, so all of your cigars, are they made in the Dominican Republic? Yes. Well, because of the... so. I'm, I'm actually very good standing where I'm at. So um, the La Aurora pretty much buys all their Nicaraguan tobacco from Aganorsa, and they have a good amount of Brazilian tobacco that I can get from. So um, like the Jalapa that they're using for the 107 Nicaragua and La Aurora, the, the Steli, the Candegue, they're all getting from Aganorsa. So Aganorsa has great tobacco for Nicaragua. So I'm able to use whatever I need from them if I want Aganorsa tobacco, I go through them. And then uh, El Artista has a very good relationship with Placencia. Uh, Placencia buys a lot of their Dominican tobacco from El Artista. So a lot of Placencia's Nicaraguan tobacco, they're buy from. So I have choice pick from Nicaragua. And, you know, both factories have their own spots in Ecuador. So really the only thing you're is, you know, Indonesia now is grown in Ecuador. A lot of Connecticut's grown in Ecuador. Uh, the only thing you really need at that point is Brazil, you know, so and with Brazil, I have, you know, La Aurora and whatever I need from El Artista. If I need something Brazilian, obviously, because they're not growing it or it's not from their farm, it's a little bit more expensive. But I have access to the better stuff than, you know, as I have more access to Nicaraguan tobacco than a Nicaraguan boutique factory has because of the volume that my factories are spending with those companies and buying. They're obviously getting the higher grade product from. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting and um, important to point out because like you said, even though it's manufacturing in Dominican public, it has these tobaccos from like you said, Placencia and Agonorsa. So that's kind of like the best tobacco that you can probably get. <laughs> so it has those influences in there. I just want people to know that so that, you know, if they're wondering, you know, where this, where's this tobacco coming from? It's coming from, you know, some pretty big, you know, companies out there. Yeah. And, you know, and obviously 
both companies have their own spots in Ecuador. So they're Ecuadorian tobaccos, obviously, whatever I want at that point. And they're Dominican tobacco. They're both huge on farming and growing their own tobacco. So, again, I'm able to get choice on Dominican tobacco, Nicaraguan, Honduran, and obviously Brazilian. You know, and again, same thing with the the broadleafs. Like, you know, it's smaller. Like, if I was if I was working out of a smaller factory in Nicaragua, I wouldn't be able to get my hands on broadleaf, or even in the Dominican Republic. Uh, the reason being is because like Swisher or someone will come and buy the whole container, as opposed to someone like me. I want to pick the best cuts and buy the best cuts. So, why sell to me when you could sell the whole container without anyone going through your container and just paying for it right away? You know, as opposed to me, oh, I have to check this bail. I have to check this bail. I want this bail. I don't want this bail. Well, for, uh, you know, when you're selling the Swisher, no one's going to argue with you. They're just going to take the whole trailer, you know. So um, mm-hmm. my guys, they when they're getting their stuff from Connecticut or from Pennsylvania, they're just buying the whole thing. And then, you know, because they have their own distribution methods for their tobacco, they're selling whatever's left over out to somebody else. Now, what is it like? Because I heard you earlier in the interview refer to Sinistra as a boutique company. And I'm always curious about how people feel about boutique now, because for me, it's a term I don't even use a lot as like I used to, because I feel like to a certain degree, everyone is boutique, except for a certain like a handful of companies in the industry right now, (laughs) like everybody's boutique. So I don't even know what that means. So for you, what does it mean to be boutique, uh, a boutique cigar company? Well, I mean, like last year, this is so, you know, everyone has a different definition of boutique. I hear so many different things like, oh, if you do half a million cigars, you're not boutique anymore. If you do a million cigars, you're not boutique anymore. Um, For me, I think you're boutique until you stop caring about your tobacco, you know, and there's some companies out there that were never boutique, in my opinion. I think boutique... It's taken, uh, you know, I'm not the type to go just talk bad about a company, you know, so I'm not going to name any names, but there's some companies out there that, you know, as a retailer and, you know, being in the industry for so long, they were in it for the money, you know what I mean? And now they're close to the legacy brands. I wouldn't call them a legacy brand, you know, but, you know, they, whether, whether they went into it going and trying to be boutique and they got screwed because, you know, especially back then, like it was very hard to go start your own brand. Now it's a little bit easier, but back then a lot of people were selling you your, their junk tobacco because they just wanted to get rid of it. You know what I mean? If you didn't know what you're talking about, they're like, yeah, I'll take this and get the hell out. You know what I mean? So uh, whether it's that or whether it's not that, I think it's boutique is like, like I think Dion, was always going to be boutique, uh, you know, until he could, until the day he can't fly to Nicaragua anymore and pick his own cuts. You know what I mean? Uh, And some, there's some brands that are huge that have, you know, legacy style, uh, you know, and I I also don't think you could consider yourself boutique if you're not doing your own blends. You know what I mean? If if you're going in and you're asking the, the blender of the factory or the owner of the factory to do your blends for you, then you're just making another cigar, that's theirs. You're not, it's not your cigar. You know what I mean? You have no uh, control over it. Now then you're just repackaging, right? At that point, mm-hmm. because it's still that brand cigar. It's just, you didn't make that. He made it for you. You know what I mean? You might've 
had some direction in the say, like, oh, I want it to be strong and blah, blah, blah. But I think boutique is when you actually, um, is when you're picking your cuts, doing your blends, and actually, you know, you when you have a passion for it. Other than that, you're just repackaging and selling cigars. And that's kind of becoming a boom now, too. There's a lot of new companies coming out through other channels that are just white labeling stuff. And, you know, you know, white labeling to me is not, you know, it's not your brand. You know what I mean? And uh, I get it. It's hard to get your own brand started. But, you know, anyone that comes and talks to me, I've helped them 110 uh, percent. I think that's another thing that's missing in our industry. You know, uh, I think competition is good and I don't think competition is such a bad thing. But I feel mm-hmm. like the legacies are not too happy about all the boutiques and all the the the, the big. And and one thing to show for it is, you know, if you look at who was suing the FDA, there wasn't that many. Le- there was no legacies suing the FDA because at the end of the day, if the FDA got away with what they, if they got their ruling in, the legacies were fine. Nothing was going to happen to the legacies. All of me, people like me, would have been gone or paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to make a cigar and obviously i can't afford to make a cigar for a hundred thousand dollars you know i could afford the bands the boxes and i can afford flying to the dominican and blending but after that you know i can't i can't sell a 50 dollar cigar (laughs) but if i have to pay a hundred thousand to to bring it out and get fda approval you know that cigar is going to have to be at a 50 dollar price point now you know so um i just feel like you know, the legacy should have been in front of the lawsuits. A lot, a lot of no legacies really put out too much money for the lawsuits. I know it went through cigar rights of America and, you know, and, and all this other stuff. And there was a set amount that some of the legacies were paying, but it wasn't, you know, a lot of these guys could have taken the horse by the rein and done it themselves. You know what I mean? With the backing and the money and the, uh, you know, they got had they have more money than cigar rights and they have way more money than aficionado does. So, you know, they, they could have taken the reins and fought, for the industry themselves, but they didn't. Um, at this point in the show, I usually like to kind of switch around the format a little bit and ask like two questions to kind of round out the show. Um, the first of those questions being, what is your why? Like what motivates you to do what you do? Well, before I think it was more a love for the industry. Um, and I still do have that now in me, uh, don't get me wrong, but a lot of stuff did change in my life. I, I just had a kid 16 months ago. So mm-hmm. I think my why and my drive now is more my kid. Like, um, I don't spend any money on myself anymore. You know, like <laughs> everything goes to <coughs> my kid and wife. And I think within the last year and year and a half, uh, you know, before it was to prove it, that I could do it more to myself, uh, you know, and, you know, obviously the people that care about me, the people I love, uh, obviously finances, you obviously want to make money, whatever it is you're doing. But I, I felt like I was always lucky because I was doing something I, I loved a lot and I was very happy about. But now I feel like my drive has totally changed. And I, I felt it But before I would bring out product and I wouldn't he- like I wouldn't hesitate. I would just bring it out. I wouldn't worry about it. If it sold, it sold. If it didn't sell. Oh, well, I bankrupt, whatever, you know, I, but I tried. Now, you know, the, the one of the last, uh, when I was doing La Fabrique, I sat down and I talked with Ram. And I was like, bro, you know, like, I'm a little scared about this. Should I go ahead with it? You know, like, he's like, why are you having these thoughts? And I'm like, I don't know, man. You know, I'm just second guessing myself. And he's like, 
is it because of your kid? And me and Ram kind of had kids at the same time. Like his kid is maybe like three months older than mine, four or five months max. So, uh, you know, with, with life, we were talking a lot about life, you know, and he's like, are you second guessing yourself? Cause you're, I'm like, maybe I am dude. I don't know, but is it weird? He's like, no man, it's okay. It's normal. And, and I kind of, that's when I started realizing that my, 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 my focus has changed a little bit. Now it has to matter. It has to sell. It has to work. Cause at the end of the day, I have people relying on me, you know? Yeah. And that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, even though I had, I don't have kids, <laughs> but I can p- completely get uh, where you're coming from. Um, off of that question, uh, if somebody w- were to come to you and say that they had their own idea for a business, but they had no idea how to get started, and it's not ne- it may not necessarily be a, a cigar or tobacco related business, but what would be your advice to that person who wants to become an entrepreneur and you know kind of start something kind of on their own? One thing I will say, and this is just in life that I've learned anything you stick to, you'll be good at, you know, if you really have that drive, if you really are going to go out and put yourself in that, you know, like me, when Sinistro first started, uh, you know, my, I was using my dad's closet for the humidor. I, I put Spanish cedar inside. I, I got a humidor humidifier the whole nine. I put an own AC unit in there so I could control the temperature all the time. And, I was literally running the stores all day long. And then obviously I'm not going to affect his business. So, you know, he's an accountant and uh, he still has the insurance business that I talked about from the beginning of the show. So like that, I literally just gave to him and I'm like, you guys deal with this. I don't want to deal with it anymore. And uh, so obviously I couldn't come in and start shipping or bring in product that's delivered until 6 p.m. So, you know, I, I literally, I remember one time I was shipping in the office and I think I had like 90 shipments to do. And I got in at like eight, seven or 8 PM. And I like looked outside and the sun was already out. It wasn't like opening time. It wasn't 10 AM yet. Like, cause no one was here for the office, but it was like close right. to like 8 AM, you know? And I was like, Holy shit, I'm still here. Like what the hell's going on? And obviously I finished up what I was doing and I went home and I slept for like a good, like, you know, eight hours, but then I was right back on the road again after I was done doing that. So it's not about just sticking to what it is, you know, sticking and, and, and pushing yourself every day. And eventually you'll get whatever it is, you know, as long as you you're consistent with it, you'll be good at it. Awesome. Can you, for those people who are not watching this, who maybe just listening to this, uh, in an audio format, could you tell people what website and what Instagram they need to follow and what other social media in order to keep up with what you and Sinistro are doing? Uh, so thank you. Sorry, I'm not good at this stuff. Like, so thanks for mentioning it. Uh, the website is SinistroCigars.com. Cigars, plural, not with one R, but cigars. And the Instagram is also Sinistro, uh, Sinistro Cigars. Facebook is Sinistro Cigars, Twitter is Sinistro Cigars, and I think that's all of our social media. And usually, um, you know, we 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 have somebody that helps out with our social media. But me and Coleman try to get on. Coleman's my business partner. He's at, he's out in Pennsylvania, but we try to get on and you know talk to everybody uh, as much as we can, and we try to like comment on every post as much as we can. So. If you do want to reach out to one of us, you know, that's the best way of getting a hold of us. 
Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Like I said, I learned a lot about your brand and hopefully people who are watching or listening to this learn a little bit more and they're looking forward to coming out and uh, trying your brand. I know we had somebody who was watching during the show, Jason. Uh, he said that he was smoking a red. So uh, you have people obviously out there who are smoking Sinistro. Uh, hopefully you don't have the same problems you did at the beginning of your company. And you now people know when you walk into a store that you're the real deal and they uh, bring in your product and give you all a, a shot. So uh, it's thank you for coming on and hopefully you and your business partner could come on here again at some point and we can continue the discussion about the brand and some of your experiences in the industry. Um, I'm always up for it. Whenever you want it, you got me. Awesome. I want to thank everyone for watching today. So if you're watching on Facebook, YouTube or Twitter, just make sure you hit that um, like button or a subscribe button. And also if you're listening to this on any of the um, podcasting platforms, just make sure that you uh, hit the subscribe button. So Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Our Heart Radio, anything like that. And also leave a review because reviews help me to improve what we're doing here. Uh, if you don't like something, uh, that's fine to put in a review. You're not going to hurt my feelings because there's always room for improvement. And uh, if you do like something, you can post that too because I can do more of that. So, um, yeah, so we have shows. Yeah, always good. Yeah, exactly. So it's both ends. So, like I said, you're not going to hurt my feelings and it's not going to go to my head. So, post whatever you would like. Um, if you miss any of this episode, or any of the other 109 episodes, you can catch them all on deepcutslive.com and also on YouTube. And uh, we have a new show next week with uh, Brandon from Renegade Cigar. So a retailer, pretty cool things. He's blending, he's, like I said, he has a great retail store. So it's gonna be one of those shows like this one that you won't wanna miss. So thank you again for, um, for coming on. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, dude. You know, uh, uh, you, you, I've, I've, I haven't done a lot of your deep cut shows, but I've read a lot of your articles and stuff. So I've always read your stuff when I was a retailer. Now it's pretty crazy that I'm on the show with you. So, uh, you know, well, I, I, and I never expected this article <laughs> to go with it. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, things are night and day now. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I talk to my partner all the time and I'm like, dude, did you ever think it was going to get like this? And we were always like, no, dude, like, especially not this fast, you know? So um, we're very humbled. We're very happy. And, you know, we appreciate everyone that supports us. And even if you don't support us, you know, at least you're in the cigar industry, smoking cigars. Good for you. Awesome. Couldn't say it better myself. So like I said, we'll have to work on a, an article for my other job uh, at some point and uh, get that kind of coverage for you. But, We'll talk about that offline and and such. But thank you for coming on and thank you everybody for watching. And until next time. Have a good one, brother.